This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Today I'm talking to Kara Sayer from Snooshade. Kara is an inventor and an entrepreneur. She created her first products back in 2008. In 2014, she decided to sell her products on Amazon and that was a real turning point for her business. Kara shares everything with us in this conversation, right from the really, really early days up until what she's doing with Snooshade right now. It's a fascinating conversation. Um, Kara is really candid, really honest. We cover all kinds of topics. Um, Specifically, we do talk a bit about selling on Amazon. So if that's what you're interested in, this will be a great episode for you. Um, but regardless of where you are with your products business, I think you'll find this a really interesting conversation. So I'd love to introduce you to Cara. Just going to start recording. You got it. Okay, so I'm going to start by asking you to introduce yourself, your business and your products, and um, we'll take it from there. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I'm Cara Sayer. Um, I invented Snoo Shade. Uh, which is now the world's best-selling range of baby sun and sleep shades. Oh, thank you so much for that, Cara. So <laughs> can we talk a little bit about the... Well, first of all, thank you for being here. And um, can we talk a little bit about the creation of Snoot Shades? So why and how it came about? And should we go right back to the early days? Oh, yeah. Well, it is early days because... Um, my daughter is now 14 big years old and is nearly as tall as me. In fact, she keeps telling me she's taller, but I don't believe her. Um, and I shall hang on to that like quarter of an inch that I've got on her for as long as I possibly can. But at the time I um, was, uh, so I had, I was pregnant with my daughter in 2007 and I had her at the end of October, 2007. Um, and uh, I, and I can't remember the exact timings, um, but I think so uh, so I was in a wheelchair when I was pregnant, um, so I couldn't walk. And uh, when I got back out of the wheelchair and started walking again, it was around sort of January, February 2008. Um, and so I was out and about all the time. And I used to do things like putting a blanket over the pram or my coat over the pram to keep her warm. Um, I would then suffer because either there'd be freezing or the coat or pr- blanket would fall off and then you'd get mud all over it and the pram would roll over, etc., um, and then the seasons changed. And uh, so we were out and about. And it was sunny and I wanted something to use to protect from the sun. But I also wanted something to help her sleep because um, sleep was very important. It's very important to me, I think, probably genetically. I'm not sure she's my child now because she doesn't like to sleep as much as I do. But maybe that will come later. Um, but um, yeah, so I wanted something uh, to help her sleep as and when. So I, I, I remember, I think, and I think it must have been mid 2008. So she was, you know, six months old and uh, had a group of friends with me. We all went out for lunch and we all sat there and everyone sort of fed their babies. And then everyone did the same thing. They put a pashmina over the pram. They put a blanket over the pram. They put whatever they could find, muslin, etc., over the pram, trying to encourage baby to go to sleep. And I just thought this is ridiculous. Surely there must be a product out there that's like a blackout blind, but for the buggy, the pram, rather than the windows that we were all used to. And um, so I don't know why. It's really strange. Like people always say to me, you know, why? Why did you do it? I really don't know why I did it. I just felt like it was sort of a calling, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, or I was just really bored. I think my mum really bored because I'd had quite a sort of high powered career before I had my daughter and I was quite bored at home and I think I sort of was looking for something to do that would be a hobby 
slightly bigger than a hobby now, obviously. Didn't realise that when I started. Um, but um, anyway, so I sort of developed a prototype, which I now know would have been completely wrong. Um, and then I found a manufacturer. And this is way back, like 2008, 2009, uh, way before the days of all the help that you get nowadays with sort of setting up you know, e-commerce businesses, Amazon businesses and all the rest of it. So I managed to find somebody who manufactured in China and I actually still work with them now, uh, 11 years on. Um, and then I went to a, um, so basically I then uh, dropped the dropped it, picked it back up, dropped it, picked it back up. And then there was a trade show that was happening at Excel in London, uh, which was a baby products association show. And I thought, well, do I go on Dragon's Den where I could get potentially laughed off TV, which could be embarrassing? Or do I go somewhere like this show? And they had an area which was called the Innovation Zone, which was all about new products. And I thought, well, you know, I'll meet people who might be a bit more useful in terms of meeting who would because obviously in this day and remember, we are going back 10, 10 plus years um, and e-commerce wasn't where it is now. And it has changed a lot, even in the last five years. Um, and so I just thought, well, you know, that's where I'm going to meet retailers and see whether they think it's a good idea for a product, because if they think it's a good idea, then they're going to know more than I am because I'm one mum, but they might know lots of parents and think, oh, yeah, that, that would be something that would sell. So uh, I went to this show, completely hysterical, went with my mum. You know, I had a bird poo on my uh, pram uh, hood, which my mum spent a lot of time trying to get off. Uh, actually, baby wipes are very lethal at getting everything off it, apparently, it seems. I don't know how we use them on baby's bottoms, but it also gets bird poo off pram hoods, just FYI. Um, and, um, you know, and I'm an ex-event organiser, so I'm used to doing on putting on very professional displays. Forget that. Uh, I went super low key. It was all sort of, pick, you know, A3 pieces of printed paper and whatever. So I'm very much a fan of um, just get on and do something. Because if you sit there waiting for perfection, if I'd sat and waited for everything to be perfect, I hadn't even finished the prototype. I mean, I took the prototype with me and I was still sewing the straps on in the middle. And so I was showing people this product going, oh, yes, no, lovely product, high quality. And then as I did that, one of the straps would ping off. and I'd be like, oh, except for that strap, which I sewed on. So just ignore that, you know. It goes into manufacture. Um, so, um, yeah, and I, and I got uh, Jojo Mamon Bebe signed up straight away, wanted a couple of hundred units. And I had a couple of other interested third uh, retailers and people who said yes. And then I signed up John Lewis and then I signed up Mother Care and, you know, and, and it just kind of grew from there, really. And so I went off and um, ordered 10,000 units <laughs> uh, based on the fact that there'd never been a product like this before in the world. Um, and I had no idea like what it was going to sell. But what I did was I just sort of looked at the numbers and I said, right, well, there's three quarters of a million babies born in the UK every year. I think it's gone down recently, actually, but that's what was that's what it was at the time. And I thought, well, even if I just sell to like one percent, like to seven and a half thousand babies, um, then, you know, surely I must be able to do that. Even if I end up like and my mum just and I was like, going, oh, my God, I don't know, investing. And then it was actually slightly cheaper if I ordered 10,000 units. So I don't know why I should have just now I wouldn't do it. But at the time I was like oh well if it's cheaper I must buy more um so anyway I bought this 10,000 units and then I was walking up and down my like corridor late at night sweating and crying and all the rest of it because I'd put all this money into a product that I didn't even know if it was going to sell and then my mum was like well worst case scenario darling is that we'll just go and um do it sell it at car boot sales so I was like oh, okay um and I think you know that's the other thing is sometimes we do get a little bit overwhelmed by what we're doing and there is usually you know, there's usually a backup plan somewhere. And okay, you know, if I'd have sold them at car boot sales, I would still have probably made a bit of a profit, you know, but not as much of one. And I probably wouldn't have, I would probably wouldn't have lost all the money either. As it turns out, I sold the first 10,000 in about the first sort of only went on, I only went on sale in March 2010. I think I'd sold out by about September. So, um, you know, actually, as it turned out, 10,000 was a very sensible amount to order. Um, but, um, you know, you live and you learn and you and you learn these things, really. Thank you so much for all of that. I've got <laughs> so many follow-up questions. Um, okay, let's start with those initial 10,000. Did you sell those? Were they were they all to the retailers or some of yeah. those you were selling? Some of them are direct. Well. Some so direct what I also well. did, and this is what I also suggest people do, um, and I learned this actually from a friend of mine who uh, runs a very successful baby business, and I, she told me this at a show. It was really interesting, actually. Um, and I was at this trade show. Uh, not trade show. It was a baby show at the NEC in Birmingham. And I had um, a new product coming out. And she said, take the money now, right? Take the money and then you can always refund it. Um, she said, but if you don't take the money and, and what I was doing is I was just asking people for their details and then I'd let them know. But the problem is with people know, then they'll probably be too lazy or they'll be, oh I, oh, I don't need it now. Whereas if you get them at the time when they want to buy it, 
get their money off them. So I did that initially. What I did is I my website went up in uh, I think that's September 2009. And um, I had a waiting list for products uh, for people, uh, customers who wanted to buy it from me direct. Um, and I think I had about, you know, 150 people or something and I converted a lot of them. But obviously, remember, this is a very unique product at the time. Um, and um, but now, retrospectively, I'd say if you're going to launch, you know, it's easier to take the money, keep it on one side. Please don't spend it like that's what I would say um, in the event that you need to refund it. Don't go mental. Um, but at the same time, it's much easier to keep people in the loop and let them know if it like even recently, obviously, with all the crap that's going on with like shipping left, right and center. You know, I've just had products where I've been out of stock for like six weeks and I've had to fly products in and all sorts. And so therefore I, I do pre-orders. So people pay up front and then I'm constantly communicating with them to say, OK, we've had another delay. But then I'm always as well ending that with, but if you want to refund right now, tell me, not a problem, we'll refund you immediately. So there's never any concern for the customer from the customer. They're not going to get their money back somehow. Um, and I think that's what most people worry about is that, you know, they they pay for something, it doesn't arrive. And then actually no one, they don't hear from anyone from the company for like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, because yes, it's on pre-order, but people like to know that you're thinking about them. So I'm a big one about communicating with your customers so I communicate a lot with my customers. In fact, I've just set up a whole like post-purchase customer journey um, for all my website customers. And I've got four websites around the world. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're very personalized. They're, they're very much me, my personality as well. Lots of gifts, lots of cat gifts <laughs> and friends gifts. <laughs> but, um, you know, but but the thing is, people like it. I've even had one lady. It was so funny. She literally she was waiting for a product. And because I wasn't very good at the technical stuff, I'd actually set this post purchase thing off and she was on pre-order. And she was like, oh, my God, I just love all the messages. I've never seen anything like it before. It's great. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but, really you know, good. little things like that. People underestimate how important it is to kind of be in touch with your customer and sort of get on your customer's wavelength from where they're coming from, which is not about you selling to them about about why they should buy from you. Yeah, and obviously your products solve a real problem as well. So I think I guess yes. that's the other thing. Yeah. Coming back to those 10,000 orders, which I hope you don't mind, but that's no. a massive, that is a massively scary number. It's a massively sort of, scary number, yeah. I, I'll ask these two questions together because I think they might be linked. Um, so what I'm interested to know, because I think people want to know this, um, and if you don't want to answer, do say as well, because that's fine. Um, but how did you manage to fund 10,000 units? And did did you have orders from retailers at that point and had no. they sort of paid for... No. Um, well, I, I didn't have orders per se. I'd had interest and I'd had Jojo, Mum and Baby had placed an order or told me they were going to place an order. I mean, they could have pulled out and retailers do. Um, but I think I had an order for a couple of hundred. Um, and the reason I was able to fund it, actually, is, is not a good story in some ways. But I worked for a, an ex friend of mine and I was doing business development for her while I was pregnant and she didn't pay me. Um, and it took me like nearly two years to get the money out of her. And uh, by the time and actually because because of the fact that she hadn't paid me, I was saving the money in a separate bank account to ensure that I got the full amount because I kind of knew she might try and be a bit shady. And uh, actually, that's what funded like, you know, everything happens for a reason. Uh, that's what funded the first uh, I spent. I think it was at the time it's about 30,000. So it was 30,000 um, pounds. Um, and I put my own money in. Um, it was my my money, my savings. Um, it was quite a big risk, I suppose. But. Mm. You know, um, I suppose, I mean, I suppose I always, I, not that I could afford to lose it, because obviously I couldn't necessarily, but I, but I suppose my attitude was a bit different with that money because I'd lived without it for several years. Just you know I mean, because of the fact that yeah. I had it owed to me and I'd done the work and then I hadn't been paid for it. So maybe had it been money I'd had for longer, I might have thought harder about it. <laughs> but it just seemed a good idea at the time. And clearly it pays off. Well, it has done, yeah, in, yeah. You know, in, in, in spades. But um you know, it's it's not something I mean, I always hear about I hear about I mean, I knew somebody God, I mean, they were like remortgaging their house and doing all sorts of things to fund their business. And I, I'm always very nervous about things like that. I mean, I would never jeopardize my overall financial security in life in order to fund something like that. I mean, I not that I could afford to lose the money, but if it, it had gone, it wouldn't have like destroyed me. So, you know, that was the difference, you know, yes. I think. And it sounds also like you say your products at the time was really unique. You clearly had a lot of faith in your products, as did others. I mean, it sounded like at this trade show you did 
remarkably well considering you had a prototype that you've said wasn't you know 100 percent. so what is it you think that it wasn't actually was it... finished I ended up adding extra details to it anyway so I mean it wasn't even they didn't even say they hadn't got any final packaging or anything I mean you know it was literally just this prototype with the with the um the pingy straps <laughs> and what was it you think that so you, you sounds like you did really well at that trade so, so what do you think it was that attracted so many retailers I mean do you think it was you do you think it was the uniqueness of the product a, a bit of everything I think it's a bit of everything I mean um obviously I know it's hard to believe I, ha- I I think I have got quite a personality on me um I did actually win I think it was nursery industry personality of the year award in like 2011 I think um mainly because I just go around getting very drunk and messing around with people I think and um but um <laughs> But um, no, I think what it is, is also I don't like selling. Um, So I tend to chat to people and I don't and I and I wasn't really. And also, I think the other thing that was interesting is I wasn't I always say this to people when you if you're going with something new, don't sell, ask. Right. Because I didn't try. I I mean, I wasn't really so much interested in selling because I hadn't actually got a finished product. So I didn't feel like I could sell per se. And my objective of going to that show was research. And it was to find out whether or not, like, was it well priced? In fact, I mean, I actually ended up putting the price up after I attended that show because the original price that I put it, um, I was going to put it on at was actually too cheap. And people said, oh, it sounds. I didn't put it on at that price because I probably wouldn't have like it's still but well, I would still be in business, but I'd have put the price up. But, you know, and that's the other thing. You can adjust prices just because of the fact that you know, something doesn't work. It doesn't mean you can't. I mean, I adjusted some of my prices this year. I adjusted some of my prices last year. I tend to be quite sort of slow, I, but I don't, I don't, I tend to literally just go, right, I'm changing the price from this to this. Um, and then that's it. And then I see if it really hits the product and whether or not it slows down sales. And if it doesn't slow down sales, then it's fine. And I do try and be practical. I mean, my main product, the bestseller that's no, that the, the range is known for, has stayed 1999 since I launched. And I launched it in 2010. So it's been the same price for 11 years. Um, now, obviously, the cost of manufacturing that product have gone up. Um, but I still feel that that is a good price point for that product. I still make enough margin on it. And I'm quite happy with that, you know. So, um, you know, I think it's probably, um, you know, and I've always sort of chatted and, and I'll stalk people. I mean, I was telling somebody the other day, there was a particular retailer I really wanted to get into. And I just used to chase him down the aisles at trade shows. I think he was quite scared of me at various points um, and uh, he used to run away. <laughs> but I got him in the end. <laughs> persistence definitely pays off. It can do. And I think as long as it's persistence with a smile, you yes. know, um, and also be prepared to be rejected, be prepared to be turned away and don't get nasty about it. I'm, I'm, a, you know, I was like, okay, fine, no problem. I'm going to come back and I'm going to try you again. You know, just be warned, you know, so because I, I said, I believe that my product is absolutely spot on for your customers. And I wouldn't be chasing you if I didn't believe that. So, you know, I'm not doing it just to make a sale. I'm doing it because I genuinely think that it will add to like, you know, the range of products that you offer. So I think having that passion behind what you're doing and that true belief rather than just doing it kind of for the money. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And also your product genuinely, genuinely helps people. And I can say I had a snoot shade. So I, I know it was, I, it was one of the best things I brought when my first child was born. And then I used it for my second child. It was probably one of the longest running items that I had because my, Aww. you know, they slept in the pram for quite a long time. And it is a product that solves a need because yeah. my children would not sleep in the pram unless it was completely dark and they had no stimulus coming from outside so often this isn't a sale this isn't an ad but yeah um, it does, it does <laughs> feel free off you go <laughs> it really it really does solve a need and I think if you've got that faith in your product that actually this you know this is something that will be useful for people as opposed to just trying to sell it to make money and obviously there's nothing wrong with trying to make money but I think that's possibly the difference is that you knew you had something that solved a need for customers I hoped, I hoped it did so in the early days I didn't know that you see ah. this is the thing because I hoped it did and I'd used it with my own daughter and I've seen other people using them and and obviously we've got the most really fabulous reviews and all the rest of it and you know actually you know it is it is quite logical which is that you know when you have children and you take them out and I've always said this you know we take babies out and we expect them to sleep wherever they are. Well, if they're in a busy playground or in a restaurant and, you know, children also in get babies, particularly um, get knocked out of sleep cycles by what they see because they, they can't go into REM if they're if, and if they're stimulated. And it only takes like three seconds or something for them to be stimulated to a point where they can't go back to sleep. So what I do and I always jokingly say this, but it's true. I bore babies to sleep because there's nothing interesting for them to look at. And it's not scary blackout either. But it is dark enough to help them go to sleep. 
Um, but I didn't really know that. And I would say it probably took me a good few years to be genuinely confident. I'd probably say about five years, actually, um, to be kind of... And I think that's... I don't know whether it's a female thing. I think it might be. I think women are less in terms of being very bullish about you know what this does and what this doesn't do and I like to prove everything so I like to test I mean I you know I, I safety test to the extreme um I've, I've done tests that nobody else would do um you know because I like to be able to say well I've tested it for that and I know it doesn't do it um whereas some people would just be happy to sort of say oh well it's past general safety test that's not good enough for me because you know so I always sort of think as I said I always try and come from it from a sort of parent's perspective what what does the parent worry about what does the parent want to know um but it has now I would actually confidently say 100% you know obviously no product suits every child because that's just not possible no product suits every person but I think I've sold enough of them now and got enough reviews to know that it does what it says on the tin you know it helps them sleep so you know for me that is really genuine and every single time I get a message on Instagram or Facebook or a review on the website review on Amazon whatever saying this has been a game changer it's a lifesaver you know can't believe I didn't know about this my first child you know blah 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 it honestly I genuinely every single time I love it I I you know it's just so satisfying to think I've helped yet another person you know yeah absolutely and coming back to what you were saying about not being sure at the beginning that it works did you do much testing in the in the early days in research or was it or you know did you try it out with testing I didn't do the testing on with the sleep actually I mean obviously all safety features have been tested of course um but no I didn't really (laughs) think about it I mean I really didn't um because I mean I had I gave out samples for people to try and things like that but you know, I might have given out, you know, say 20 samples or something. And then who knows, I might have just had 20 people who had good sleeping babies, you know. Um, But I think it was because of the logic behind it, if you know what I mean. I'm quite a logical person. And so, as I say, for me, it was quite logical that it should work. Um, So the biggest challenge was to get it to fit all prams and pushchairs. So I spent many a happy day in mother care in my local mother care in Weybridge, where they thought they called me the mad shade lady because I'd sort of come in and I'd have Holly with me, who was a you know little two, three year old at the time. She'd be scooching around playing with all the toys and I'd be standing there going, is it OK? If I... And they're like, yeah, yeah. And then I'd just be like trying it on another buggy, trying it on another buggy, trying it on another. That was the thing I worried about more was the fact that it wouldn't fit a buggy. And then I'd be like, right, you know, it can't be universal fit. And I think that's the other thing you have to realise, a bit like what I said, there's no product fit that will suit everybody. You know, there will be some buggies, which it, not necessarily it won't fit, but people might not work it out that it does fit. And I get people now, even now going, oh, it didn't fit this buggy. I'm like, I know it fits that buggy. I fitted it on that buggy. But they, for whatever reason, haven't worked it out. Um, so I still call it universal fit because it is, you know, and I can make it, I can make it fit most things, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, and we've talked a lot about the early stages of your business. Should we talk a little bit about the, t- the turning point? So why it came and what happened then? Sorry, what do you mean? In what, in what way? Turning point? Um, was there a stage in your business where things sort of where things changed? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So in um, 2014, I was getting divorced. Um, and um, I realized that, um, you know, as much as I love my ex-husband and I do very deeply, he's one of my best friends. Uh, I wasn't going to get a penny. Um, so I had to either make Snooze Shade work very hard for me to, in order to be able to support me and my daughter or go and get a job. Now, I'm probably pretty unemployable at this point, I think, really. Um, and um, so I thought, well, you know, the business was, looked like superficially like it was doing very well. I was doing sort of mid six figures, but the profit margin wasn't brilliant. I mean, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't brilliant. And um, I certainly don't think I could have afforded to sort of actually genuinely live like on it quite comfortably. Um so um, I started looking away around at what, 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 where I was losing money. And I was fi- primarily, it was the old bricks and mortar distributor route. And because you have, when you sell to a distributor, you have to give them a really, really massive margin because they've then got to sell to a retailer who wants their 50% margin. And therefore you end up making like a pound, you know, on, a, on an item. So imagine if you, if you want to make 100,000, you've got to spare, you've got to sell 100,000 units. Well, when I sell on Amazon, say, for example, that same product, I might make six pounds. So therefore, I can sell six times less units, but make the same amount of money. And having not had to buy all the other products that I would have had to in order to sell to Tesco and all the rest of it. So um, and I saw these Facebook ads where um, apparently you could just sit on a beach, uh, drink, drink cocktails and uh, listen to the sound of uh, Amazon. Loads of money. 
I thought, oh, that sounds good. I'll have me some of that. And um, so I went to this conference. It was a two day conference in Heathrow in, I think, 2015. It was either 2014. I think it was early 2015. And uh, what I realized was, was that a lot of Amazon sellers were not selling branded products and they weren't selling products that were particularly different. Actually, they were just, you know, it was the typical garlic crusher, postural supports and all the sort of things that we all joke about as being, you know, the sort of the joke products sometimes in the Amazon world. And um, I, but I realized that actually the other thing with a brand is that brands sometimes get on their high horse a bit too much and think everyone knows them. And actually, you know, for Nike, for example, you know, people are looking for a trainer, right? And, you know, for, um, you know, Coca-Cola, they're looking for a cola drink, a fizzy cola drink. And so I sort of started thinking about it a little bit more, I suppose I say rationally and more practically in terms of what are those keywords that are going to drive traffic um I also had to do a lot of like quite painful stuff so I had to get rid of my distributors I had to part ways with them even though I'd been working with them for many years um and I explained to them I said look you know this is a situation I either I either give up the I either don't do this and I I try and make more money either you know or I go out of business so either way you're not going to have the product (laughs) um and um and then I started working on Amazon. I launched in the US and Canada and Australia. And I did all that in April 2016. Um, so um, and then I had to also uh, I was selling previously uh, my distributors and wholesalers had been selling to resellers. So I had to stop selling my own product for about six months um, because I had to wait for everyone to clear their stocks out and stop selling because I, I had like 37 resellers on the same product, for example. You know, and the only thing that happens is the price just goes flying down. Um, and, um, so I, I did that, that was hard and, you know, cost, cost money, um, cost, cost sales, but it was a really sensible thing to do. And then I started working on all of the listings and all that sort of thing. I started learning PPC. Um, I did all that myself to start with. I now outsource it. I have been outsourcing it now for about three years, I think, but the first few years I did it all myself, which was a major headache because I hate spreadsheets. Um, and um, yeah, just started building, 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 and it's just been growing every year ever since. Oh, thank you for that. See, I th- I know that you um, are in the same camp as me and believe that selling on Amazon is a really good opportunity. Can you talk a little bit about why you think it's such a great opportunity for brands? I mean, I have my own thoughts, but I would love to hear yours. <laughs> well, I just think you're missing a trick um, because um, you know, however much we like may like to pretend that you know we're a brand and everyone should be buying from us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, actually, the customer may not want to buy from you. They don't necessarily want to have to hand their credit card details over to you. They don't want to have to worry about whether they get delivery like tomorrow or, the, or in a week or whatever. Um, and actually, I find as well that sometimes, you know, even offering them a discount, they'd still rather go and pay full price at Amazon, but they'll get next day prime delivery. I do it myself. I think the thing is, you have to think like a shopper, not a seller. And you have to think about what's best for your customer. So, I mean, I have links to all my products on Amazon on my website, because if someone wants to buy from Amazon, I might as well tell them where to go, make it easy for them. Um, and um, and I think also, you know, I mean, I've got a friend of mine. I'm always banging on to her. She's got an amazing bag brand. And I and I know people are searching for that brand on, on Amazon because I can see it in the search terms. And I keep saying to her, like, and she does really, really well. She does seven figures just off her website. And I'm like, you should definitely go on Amazon. She's like, oh, well, no, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but the thing is, you're not detracting from what you're going to do. Your customers are going to stay with you and you'll still be bringing new customers on. And I mean, I'm growing my website at the moment. I'll explain a bit more about that in a minute because I'm not all about Amazon. Um, and, um, you know, but, but the most important thing is that you give the customer what they want, not what you want. And if an Amazon, if a customer wants to buy it from Amazon, then they should be able to. And if you don't, then a lot of people who only shop on Amazon, and there are quite a lot of them, won't buy from you. So you're actually just missing out sales in my opinion yeah I absolutely agree with you I think and the and the other thing about Amazon is that people are there to shop whereas yeah. if they're on Google or Instagram yeah, they're looking around yeah. well, if they're on Instagram and your ad pops up they might not be there to shop they might be there to I I was having this conversation with somebody the other day and I said the thing is also is that quite often for example I'll see a Facebook ad right so I've been working with a Facebook ad agency for like not for the first time I've been ripped off many times but this one is actually very good and um and I've seen my sales my website sales my Amazon sales everything has definitely gone up this year like you know really well and I and I although I can't put a hard figure on it my personal belief is that people do what I do and what I do is I see a product on a Facebook ad and then I go and see if I can get it on Amazon 
because I don't want to deal with some Facebook random company that I don't know. Um, and so I, you know, and most of the time on Facebook ads, it's not a brand. It's like, you know, it's a sort of, you know, back scratcher or something or, you know, new makeup brush. And then you go to Amazon and there's like, you know, 20 listings, which are all for the same product because all the Facebook ad company is doing is basically pretending they're a brand when they're not really and they're selling, you know, we, I've, I've been ripped off many times by Facebook ads or well, not many times, a couple of times. Um, but I sort of feel like, well, if I go and buy it from Amazon, at least I know what's going to happen. I'm not going to suddenly get hit by the fact that it's being shipped from China and I'm not going to get it for three weeks, you know. Um, so, you know, there is that confidence in Amazon as a retailer that customers have. And especially, you know, when you're a prime customer, you know, you, oh, well, if it's on if it's available through FBA, you know, you're going to get it tomorrow or even that evening sometimes. Absolutely. And, you know, your credit card details are safe. You know, you can return it if you want to. There's going to be no hassle there. Yeah. I think all of that makes a massive difference because you're right. Putting your credit card details on the Internet is quite scary. Yeah. Especially when you don't know what you're going to get or if you're going to get it. Oh, if you're going to get it. Exactly. Well, I've had both instances. I got sent. I bought this robotic vacuum cleaner once, which when it arrived was supposed to be this all singing, all dancing, like vacuum robot back floor vacuum cleaner, which all sort of plugged in automatically to the plug. And, and it, when it arrived, it was like a child's toy that took about 29 AA batteries. Um, so fortunately, I managed to get my money back through my credit card. Um, and then another time I bought this dress and um, and they said, oh, you know, all no problem with returns. I had to return it to China. And then they wanted me to and then they were wanted to charge a 30 percent. Uh, restocking fee even though they on their website they said there's no restocking fee um and so there's absolute crooks out there you know frankly um and um you know so so I think you know I don't blame people for not necessarily wanting to go to some kind of semi-random website you know although saying that um I do also believe that even if you sell on Amazon Amazon as you do it's also important to have a website it's vital you must have your own website and you see I see a lot of Amazon I see millions of Amazon sellers who don't do that and actually they're making a big mistake because the thing is also your customer wants to know you're real um and you know having a gmail address on a website if for a domain is pathetic frankly in my book it costs virtually nothing to have a domain email address um and you know and it makes you look more professional it makes the customer feel more comfortable if I see like you know bloody blue blue at gmail I'm like "Mm -mm, no not doing that thank you very much you know so um you know it is it's all about creating a a look and a feel that makes the customer feel that they can potentially trust you and hand over their credit card details to you and you mentioned that you were doing some work on growing your website at the moment so what are you doing there that you're happy to share um we're doing um a lot of seo work um so um that is seo work is not something that happens overnight it's something that you need to work on like with a with a plan so i've got um, a very good agency who um basically i've been been working with them for about the last year and um we've been gradually growing it and um it's quite funny he like the the guy that i work with is lovely and he keeps going right well you know i'm going to aim to get you to here like you know in sales and i'm like oh yeah right whatever and then actually we've hit it already um so you know historically you know my website was only doing like 50 or 60,000 I think we've done 140 this year um and that's a combination I think of, and that's just in the UK and then I've got the US websites Canada websites Australia so we're going to be working on each of those um individually and I think it's really important that you have that direct customer interface because just as there are the customers who only want to buy on Amazon there are also customers who actually prefer to buy direct from a brand and so therefore you're giving customers a choice which is what people want they want to be able to choose where they buy from thank you and you touched on this a little bit earlier when you were talking about your email sequences now I bought from you on Amazon I have to be honest for all the reasons that you've outlined and I bought my snoop shade that's where I bought it but what's the experience like when people buy from you on your website and do you have any tips or advice on how to make buying from you for, you know from your brand like a nice well, I actually do it on Amazon customer. as well now so you probably bought from me far too long ago because obviously things have changed now so I use um, something called Helium 10 um, and there's quite a few of them actually there's quite a few providers out there. there's managed by stats and there's Helium 10 and I used to use another one Feedback Genius I think but I don't, I'm not sure if they're still around um, and um, I have automated sequences on Amazon as well so but I, I trigger at various points so I do have when someone buys from me they get a follow-up email just to say has everything arrived okay, et cetera. And I send them a link to instructions so that they can like hopefully get like use of the product. And then also if someone returns a product, I always send a message and I just say, why have you returned it? I don't get very many returns. And I get quite a high percentage of returns emails on that. And people explain, it's ever so sweet. They're always like, 
oh hi Cara well I returned it because of such and such like we went on holiday and we didn't end up using it um or like actually I realized I've got the wrong one and therefore I went and ordered the other one and so what that does is the ones who've obviously bought it and didn't need it you I reply and I say oh thank you ever so much for letting me know that's really really kind and next time you go on holiday you know do feel free to try and buy again and if they've bought the wrong one and they're now happy with the one they've got I'm like oh brilliant that's amazing would you mind writing a review if you're happy with it and you know and then um I also uh what's the other and then the other one is sometimes we get faults as well not very often but we do and then that's an opportunity to make a an unhappy customer into a raving fan um so we bend over backwards for people who've had a faulty product and they love it because you know there's no quibbling we just ask them to send a photo and I need like the washing label to get the batch number it's a send a photo of the fault uh, and then like yep we'll send you a new one no problem no quibbles no messing you know um even when people have had it for several years you know I'm like okay well it's the strap shouldn't have broken actually um so you know if they if they come to me they've got like a 10 year old one I mean I got sent one back the other day actually via Amazon I think someone must have bought one off eBay or something or or bought it maybe like 10 years ago and then the elastic is actually cracked uh, like you know when elastic breaks and goes completely yes. flat and I think what they've done is I think they've bought a new pr- version of my product and then sent back as a return the old one um, and I was m- horrified horrified but people are sneaky I mean I do get people sending stuff back with baby sick on it and all sorts of things and I, I get all the returns sent to me so uh, in the UK so I don't get very many of them so I inspect them all and you know sometimes you get baby sick or grass or cat hair and you're like you've used this you git you know <laughs> And then you've returned it. I bet you've said it's faulty, uh, you know, just so you can get free postage. Um, but um, it's, um, yeah. So, and then the post purchase on the website is, again, you know, I tell people what they're going to get. Like I, I say to them, look, you know, you're going to get an email. It's going to have instructions. Then I'm going to check in that it's when it, after it's shipped to make sure you've got it okay. Then I'm going to check everything's fine. And then, I've, you know, I've got an extended extension on the warranty, um, which to be fair, I don't actually need uh, them to do it Um Uh, with my website because I've already got their details but I do it because it's like a nice extra touch Um, and then we ask them for a review so there's like a sort of it's a five email or six email process that goes on over about a month Uh, just but it but the never the only it's only really I suppose at the end when we ask for a review Um, and even then sometimes we've had it where that we when we've sent that email people then go oh I've had a fault you're like okay great you know fantastic let's sort that out you know um so, you know, I'm, I welcome people having issues, but coming to me or us, I've got a team, obviously. Um, and, um, you know, we sort it out for you rather than sitting there bitching about the fact you bought this product and it's broken after 31 days. And so Amazon won't take it back because that's the bad thing about Amazon um, is that they have this stupid 30 day rule. Whereas I don't care. Like I said, if, if something breaks and it's like a couple of years down the line, I'll still replace it. You know, or at the very least, I'd give you a five fifty percent discount off the next one you buy or something. I'd definitely do something. Whereas Amazon just goes, oh, no, sorry. And then you get a bad review because Amazon's basically messed up on the customer service. Yeah, that definitely is one of one of the downsides. And they also I also don't think they take as much care of shipping as you would yourself either. <laughs> Do they take care in shipping? Honestly, I had some removals and they accidentally went to my house as opposed to going to the warehouse. And literally it was like they'd taken a box that had been beaten within an inch of its life and then put a couple of teeny tiny little sellotape holders around it and then put like about 1500 quids worth of my stock and actually some of them were missing because they'd fallen out and the dpd guy actually apologized to me he said i'm ever so sorry like that's what it state it was in when i picked it up i'm like oh my god so complained, obviously good um <laughs> while we're talking about sort of a bit of, of sort of negativity around products i hope you don't mind me talking about this but i'm sorry, when you're talking about what sorry you're talking about people sort of saying not as nice things about your product oh, yes, yes. it doesn't work criticisms, um yes. your criticisms i'd love to talk a little bit about how you deal with any criticisms that come regarding your product i hope you don't mind me bringing this up but i know recently oh, you've had some and joking. i think you, <laughs> and i think you dealt with it really well that isn't what she did Lisa. that isn't what she did <laughs> i thought you dealt with it really well so do you mind talking about that a little bit because I think I I get it, it all the time can be your worst nightmare I think as a someone who creates a products passionate about their products I think when you get any criticism about it you can really take it to to heart oh, and yeah, it can totally. be so hard so can yeah. you talk a little bit about how you handle it and what you know what advice you would give to others in that situation because I guarantee it will happen to all of us at some oh, yeah. point so I mean the thing is also much more 
like defensive than you are further down the line. So, you know, when you've only sold a few hundred or a few thousand units of something, you're like, oh my God, someone's criticizing it, it might like close the business, blah, blah, blah. Whereas when you're selling like, you know, tens, twenties, thirty thousand units or whatever, you know, it's like one person's opinion. And that's why also I'm a big believer in if you make any claims about your product, make sure you've got something that actually backs that up. So, um, you know, one of the things that people didn't always get, remember, this was a product that looked very, very different from normal baby products. So normal baby products, pretty patterns, pale colors, pastels. Mine's black. Okay, it's black. And people don't really necessarily like or didn't like the idea of black. So I've had people calling it the baby burka. I've had people, um, you know, and also the problem is there's a perception about colors, which is that black attracts heat. And so obviously my product is a sunshade and a sleep aid and people were going, well, if it's black, it's all going to heat up. The baby's going to cook to death and die. And um, so in the early days, you know, that was actually very upsetting. And I knew for a fact that that isn't what happens. But and I even went. So what I did was because I'm not a scientist, um, I found uh, the it was actually the um, the UK's leading thermophysicist. Um, who um, I went and spoke to him about. It and I said, look, you know, I was never very good at physics myself at school. I think I got 25% for writing my name and that was about it. Um, and I said, but, you know, I know that my product doesn't overheat, but I don't really know why, you know. Um, and actually, you know, what are the benefits, blah, blah, blah. So he actually wrote me a really nice letter where he actually explained the physics behind it and the fact that, you know, this and that. And actually, fundamentally, even if it is like 40 degrees out there, it's still better to shade your baby from the direct sun than it is to leave them exposed. So even if it was to get a fractionally warmer, then it wouldn't matter anyway. But um, I think it was this year, I just about had enough. I think that's the thing. It's less about being defensive. You just get so fed up of hearing people being so uneducated. And and actually, in this instance, it was a, a uh, an influencer, an Instagram influencer, who basically saw one of my Facebook ads um, and uh, decided she didn't like the look of it. And then um, because there was a problem with Instagram and Facebook where there was an algorithm problem where um, what was happening was you would comment on something and then it would say it wasn't posting. But then what actually happened was you then I don't know if you saw that noticed this, but it was um, it was a few months ago. It was whenever it, it was whenever this thing kicked off um, and it went on for about you know, a good month afterwards. It was really annoying every time anyone posted on it they would then post like 20 times. So you'd be sitting there deleting like 20 comments because you only want their one comment. So she thought that we, she was her negative comments were being blocked. So instead of actually approaching the business like Instagram, she then took to her stories and then basically said, I've seen this thing. It looks like a death trap and baby's going to boil to death. And it's like an oven and all this sort of stuff. And I just was like, Do you know what? I am so sick and tired of this and the problem was I didn't care necessarily about one person saying it because I've had that happen a lot but she had a lot of people who followed her and they were then going onto my Instagram and then putting abusive comments onto my old posts on Instagram oh this is going to kill babies this is going to you know all this negative stuff and I was and, I, and actually I've got a team of three people who helped me on social media all mums and there was three or three or four of us because I was doing it as well. And we're going in there and we're trying to get them answer. And then they're saying, oh, well, they haven't answered. They must be just like ignoring us. Sort of. And it was literally I, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. So I went and I said to my team, right, I'm doing a video. I said, I've had enough of this. I said, I am sick and tired. So I, I literally I just went, look, you know, I design my products to be as safe. But my products are actually safer than probably about 95 percent of most of the big manufacturers products, because I actually make my products safe enough to be safe enough for a newborn, which you don't have to do legally or any for any reason. But I do it because for me, I sleep at night and, you know, I'm a mum and I would never forgive myself if any a child was hurt using my products. And, you know, and I've always refused to do tests that are not scientific as well, because, you know, I will absolutely 100 percent test. So I've everything I every claim I make on my product is tested. But you can't there is no scientific test for whether or not a pram is going to overheat or not. It's just not possible. But there was all these like influencers out there sticking like um, thermometers into their prams and then shoving a blanket over the top and then going, oh my God, the pram's heated up to like 80 degrees and the baby's going to die. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is ridiculous. My product is nothing like a blanket. So um, anyway, I did this video and then it got, and I actually did cry a bit because I was just, you know, when you just get so overwhelmed. So um, I, that got picked up and it went a bit viral. 
And then I also subsequently, I thought, you know what, sod it. I thought, I'm going to I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to stick a bloody thermometer in a pram and I'm going to, sh- you know, and actually, as I said, because I've never, ever said it keeps babies cool in the pram. It can't because the pram heats up. There's all sorts of variants. But but actually, it was about the same temperature under the shade. In fact, it was slightly cooler uh, most of the time under the shade than it was outside in the sun so I said look I've never said it keeps it it's not an air conditioning unit but it won't make your baby it's not going to heat them up to like 80 degrees and they're all suddenly going to die when it's only 25 degrees outside um and so I've got those videos up now and I do say that look it's not scientific test I'm not using this to make a claim I'm just this is literally like doing comparing apples with apples if somebody's going to do a pram test and shove like a thermometer in a pram that's what I've done but I'm not making any claims based on it so don't and don't expect me to you know yeah, thank you. And I think I think it was I like the way you dealt with it because it was very to the point and yeah, it didn't escalate. Like you got an apology in the end, didn't you, from that lady? I did get an apology, yeah. And I mean also what was actually really lovely was because I had got visibly got upset about it, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about it. Um, but you know, safety to me is my one of my is the number one feature of my products, you know. So for someone to challenge the safety of them, I don't care if you don't like the look of them because they're not fashion accessories, they help babies sleep. So if you want something that looks pretty, go elsewhere, go and buy something else. But if you want something that works, then this is the product. I'm all about function over fashion. Um, but actually, I ended up being deluged by amazing comments from um from customers who were like, well, I've used it in 40 degree heat. And it was amazing. I've used it here. Like, I've used, you know, and they were just sticking up for me. And that, to be fair, was more valuable. And actually, that really kind of made me feel a lot more confident um, about in future saying to people, no, it doesn't make the bloody pram hot. <laughs> you know, and it's like, great. Read these comments. Don't ask me. Ask the parents. Here are, here are like 200 comments all saying that over the very over the years, they've used it in very hot climates and they're absolutely fine. And then you tell me that it makes the baby hot. Well, I'm not going to say anything, you know. I think it's great that you feel up that much loyalty as well, that, pe- that your customers want to sort of stick up for you and for the product. Yeah. I think that's really probably. good as well. Yeah. Okay. I'm keeping an eye on the time, Carl, because I want to be respectful of that. Um, I've got just two more questions before we end, if that's okay. Of course. Um, the first thing I would love to know is if you were going right back, let's take yourself right back to the start. What, well, I was gonna say would that would would you do anything differently if you were starting again today and if so what you know what would that be well if I was starting a fresh if I was starting today I wouldn't if I was going back 10 years you probably wouldn't do things that much different. there are a few things I would do I mean I did some mad stuff like you know I went to things like Oscar ceremonies in America and like went to the got you know and did gifting suites in the states and I spent money on sponsorship campaigns in the US where way before I was ready and way before I had distribution over there which if I'm honest now I probably wouldn't do but having said that it was a it was an experience you know um if I was starting afresh now um, I would 100% start on Amazon and my own website. You know, I wouldn't bother with the other re- with the other retailers. I might I might have a few. I mean, I do have still. I still sell to Jojo Mama Bebe. You know, who are the first retailer I ever worked with. Um, and um, you know, but I I pulled out of everywhere like because because I've left my distributor. Um, I I don't sell like I was selling to Tesco and Boots and everywhere else. And I just think that you know, depending on your product and depending on. Um, you know, I mean, what I ended up doing is in the end, I mean, for example, Tesco kept uh, putting their price down and I'm like, well, I know what price you're buying it at. So how can you afford to have it down that low? And then uh, Amazon, because I was at the time I was selling to Vendor Central, which I then also stopped, um, is uh, they would then match what Tesco were doing. And I'm like, why are you doing that? It's stupid. Like both of you are losing money on this product. Um, and um and, and things like that. Whereas now that I've got more control over where it's sold, I don't have problems like that. You know, because actually, for me, it's not about the price per se. It's about the perceived value of the product. You know, my products are not cheap to make. They are high quality, but I try and price them so that they are competitively priced. I don't want to, you know, um, I don't want them to be stupidly expensive. Um, And um, so I do try, like I say, I've still kept the the initial product I started with is still $19.99. But that price, uh, my cost of product has probably almost doubled you know since I started um and um you know I think it's really really important that you know that that there's a perceived value to that you know and I mean I still get people complaining oh it's too expensive I'm like right well you try and go off and make a product like mine to the quality level and the safety standards that I do 
and then you knock yourself out and try and do it for 1999. You know, I mean, every every company that's ever copied me, and I've been copied by Aldi, Lidl, I've been copied by other people who, other pram manufacturers, I've been copied by, you know, random Amazon sellers. You know, none of them ever produce a product that is the same quality. They're always cheaper and they're always nastier. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm like, good, because it just shows to me, it just proves to me that what I'm doing is right, which is I'm spending more because they're I make less money on some of my products because of the fact I choose to invest in the pricing as a strategy to get people through the door. Um, and then I've got more expensive products and I've, you know, and all the rest of it. And I've got some products that make more margin than others and all the rest of it. But, you know, fundamentally, there is an element where I don't want my brand to be devalued. I don't want it being sold for 14 pounds, you know, somewhere when, you know, I wouldn't sell it on my website for 14 pounds. So, you know, why on earth would it be sold somewhere else? Yeah, that makes sense. And I also believe that, you know, given sort of the amount of time and effort and everything that you've put into your products, I don't think anyone ever could compete with you on quality and price. And I mean, I've spent tens. Yeah, I've just spent six and a half thousand pounds on safety testing. I can't even really talk about because of the fact that it's not an official safety test, but it is a safety test that is really important. So I've actually just had the products tested for carbon uh, carbon dioxide rebreathing and also for suffocation. Now, there is actually no official test for that, but I've worked with one of the world's leading independent laboratories, and they do have that test that they use for other bigger brands. And I've managed to get hold of someone and I've managed to get my products tested. That cost me six and a half thousand dollars or something, you know, and who's going to spend six and a half thousand dollars normally on a 20 pound product like to test to to safety test but I can now say well I know it doesn't affect it won't do you can't rebreathe and I know you can't suffocate you know so you know for me that's my my sanity you know um and my that's my sort of you know the why I sleep at night because I know that my and all the copies will have not had any of the tests that I've had, you know, that I've done. And they won't be using the zip qualities I use. They don't use the only baby safe certified poppers in the world. You know, all of these little details are what makes up the, the bigger picture, which is why, you know, even if you're not selling a product like mine, there are ways of making your product stand out from other people's by just doing something that shows that you care. You know, go that extra step. So for example, I bought a couple of t-shirts on Amazon. Basically, same t-shirt pretty much just slightly different patterns and one seller sent it to me it was all crumpled up and it was just in a plastic bag and the other one had actually wrapped it up in uh, tissue paper you know like you get in a shop with a little sticker on it like a little branded sticker well guess which one I'm going to get they were the same price but somebody had basically just said oh here I'm just I'm, I'm gonna like sell you a, a cheapish t-shirt shove it in a plastic bag and send it to you and one had thought well actually I'm going to make it look quite nice so it's a bit of an experience opening it it shows someone's cared you know, so even little tiny touches like that, you know, packaging is something particularly that, um, you know, it costs extra. Yes. But like. If you're only ever looking at your margins, you're not really looking at your business in the right way, in my opinion, if you want to create some kind of quality brand, if you're just selling down and dirty cheap for the cheapest price, do what you like. But if you're trying to build something that has a little bit more longevity, then think about ways in which you can make yourself stand out. And some of those ways are, you know, could be donating to charity with every uh, purchase. It could be, uh, you know, making it wrapped up nicely. It could, you know, so it's making it packaged. So it's a ready to go gift, you know, all those sorts of things. Because people right. do notice. They do. And I think there's a lot to be said for being thoughtful. And what I really like as well, Carver, that I'm really taking from this conversation is despite the fact you've been doing this for well over 10 years now, you're still refining and improving. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you don't need to be doing these extra tests. You probably don't need to be fiddling with your website. I say, are you fiddling? You know what I mean? That's not no, I do. Yeah, yeah. The best word. You know what I mean, though? All these things that you're doing. Um, I just think it's really nice that despite you being established, very established you're still always looking to improve and improve the not just the products but the experience as well and I just think that's really admirable actually and the other thing I would also say which is reassuring to people who are starting up you don't have to do it all straight away so for example in my previous life I was in marketing PR etc and I used to do some consulting which was one of the things I did for the person who never paid me um 
and or she did pay me eventually. Um, but anyway, one of the first things I would always walk into any business, whether it's a B2B or B2C, I would say, are you doing a newsletter to your customers? You know, because obviously that's a really good way of like communicating and upselling other products and giving discounts and encouraging people to buy. Anyway, over the last sort of 11 years, I've probably done in total about 20 newsletters to customers. But you know what? My business has still continued. Um, I haven't had a lovely post-purchase email follow-up. Uh, in the last sort of 11, 12 years, I've, I've sort of flitted in and out of Facebook ads. You know, um, I've you know, so I think the thing is, is that what I would say to people is focus on one thing, do it well, then move on to the next thing. Because if you try and do all of it at the same time, you know, or even focus on two or three things, or if you've got a team of people, you know, but don't try and do everything. And don't worry if you can't do everything, because if you start doing well and you're not doing all those things, imagine how well you could be doing if you actually then started focusing and and putting a bit of energy and that could be next year or the year after it doesn't all have to be now that's brilliant advice thank you and I think that's that is really reassuring so on the other side of what I was saying about how you're still doing these things now it's nice to know that some of these things you weren't doing it's not like you've always been doing all of these no. things I think that is really good to grow. I mean I've grown I mean this year we've done 48 percent increase year on year in the U.S. in the, um, in the UK and the U.S um and um and on my website i'm up 134 percent, i think it is and in the us i'm up again i can't remember what the percentage is off the top of my head but that's really quite significant growth um and that is growth that's taken and that's in obviously taking into consideration we've had covid i mean you know covid knocked me a cropper briefly but you see again i think because i was such an established brand by that point although yes it wasn't great for anyone and no i didn't make as much money like, like in 2020 as i did in 2019 i still kept going i mean at one point i was sitting there with a, pe- a piece of paper and a pencil working out if i sold two units of this and three units of that in this country and that country like could i keep the business going could i pay my team blah 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 and then actually it all just kicked off again and it all just carried on and and it was fine and i did well last year um but you know but but the thing is is that you know you've got to always be flexible you know you've got to I mean if COVID's taught us nothing it's taught us like how things change I've always been a massive fan of FBA but when COVID hit I suddenly had to do FBM because I did FBM using MFN which is the uh, manufacturer fulfill no I did it do using the um uh what's it called multi-channel fulfillment uh, where I got Amazon to fulfill my orders on Amazon <laughs> Because, you know, which is really stressful because actually I couldn't do it now because Amazon doesn't give you the shipping details before they ship. So whereas now they want you to put the shipping details in. So what we were, I was sitting there doing was I'm typing in like all these customer details into Amazon to ship the product. Then as soon as they've shipped it, then I'm getting the the tracking details, putting it into Amazon to, you know, to pass on to the customer. Honestly, I mean, you know, but all of these things, you've just got to learn how to do. And it actually has also opened me up to doing more FBM. Because it's good because, again, not everyone has prime. Um, and actually, you know, you can you can and sometimes you go out of stock. So it's good to have backup and, you know, all of those things. Yeah, definitely. And for anyone who doesn't know, so FBM is when you fulfill your own orders on Amazon. And like you, Carl, I actually, yes, I recommend you do both as well, because as you say, if you go out of stock, it's just all, you know, your stock takes ages to get unloaded when it gets to amazon as it yeah. can in the run-up to christmas it's good to have i'm aware i've kept you for quite a long time now carver so i have one final question <laughs> if that's okay which is what would your number one piece of advice be for someone looking to start a products business right now <laughs> oh don't do it <laughs> um i think i would say just make sure you're really clear on your usp which is your unique selling point and like I say, that isn't necessarily the unique selling point of the product. It could be the unique selling point of the customer service experience. It could be the unique selling point of how you deliver it and package it. It could be the unique service, unique selling um, point of the fact that, you know, you you sell a tea brand and you donate to, um, you know, elephant sanctuaries in India, you know, whatever it might be. But but find something. Um, so I'd say there's that one. Find something unique. And the other thing I would say as well is, the Amazon world is full of a lot of people it's quite funny whenever I go to Amazon events because it's full of people who are selling like you know seven eight figures or whatever and they and if you say to them what do you do they're like oh I'm in the baby category or I'm in the pets category and I'm like oh no I do snoo shade and they're like what Hmm, sorry you know because it's all very secretive and no one likes to share what they do and I'm like I don't care because I'm a real I consider myself a, a brand I just happen to use Amazon as a sales channel Um, But I would say that, you know, one of my top tips is if you're not afraid of putting your face out there, 
is, you know, add a bit of personality to your listings on Amazon and and to your website. Make it about the real you or, you know, give the give customers a story because they like stories. They like to be given a reason why they should support you over some other faceless entity. And, you know, if you go to any of my listings uh, and you're welcome to, they're not I do them all. They're not particularly brilliantly done. But again, doesn't have to be perfect. Just has to work. And, you know, you'll see there's pictures of me on there, pictures of my daughter. Um, I talk about the fact that it's invented by a mum, you know, because that is actually part a very important part of the story. And Amazon particularly and the Internet is quite a faceless, personality less place. So the more you can do to make people actually care about why they should buy from you, the better, I think, really. Thank you so much. That I completely agree with you. When I'm working on with clients on Amazon listings, one thing that I'm always trying to do is put a bit of personality into it. Because as you say, there are so many, you know, you'll get 20 listings for the same thing. But the yeah. ones that stand out to me as a customer are the ones that are a bit different. And whether that's because it's got someone's face on it or whether it's because the language they use. Um, yeah, there's something a lot more appealing when you realise this isn't the same T-shirt as the other yeah. 20 or whatever it is exactly well thank you so much for your time for everything you've shared today I've loved talking to you I think yeah you've you've given us a lot um thank you (laughs) I want you all go away and make notes and then tell me you've done lots of things (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much pleasure thank you for having me thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this episode if you enjoyed it please do leave me a review that really helps other people to find this podcast make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and do tell your friends about it too if you think that they also might enjoy it you can find me at vickyweinberg.com there you'll find link to all of my social channels you'll find lots more information all of the past podcast episodes and lots of free resources too so again that's weinberg.com take care have a good week and see you next time If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.